0: 2020 has come to a close. We don't know how we did it, but we got a lot of tournaments in. Three of the four majors, a year-end finals, amidst, well, a COVID pandemic. Who would have thought from the bushfires to an illness? It's been a bizarre year. It's been a crappy year. But it has been a good year in many ways, and we've seen so many wonderful stories in the tennis world that we've been able to cover and chat about here on Breakpoint Podcast. And we're going to be chatting about all of that and much more on our year-end review show. This is Breakpoint. I'm your host, Val Febbo, and joining me to review the year that was is Joel Frucci. Joel, how are you? I think this must be the first time in a long time that I've actually got the intro right first go, so I am bang on happy. Um, How are you, mate?
1: Yeah, going well. It really, is a momentous occasion, Val, as you said. You got the intro right, and um, well, I mean, we're doing something that we've been planning for a while, but have never actually quite done. It's literally break point after dark. Um, the sun's gone down. Uh, we're getting cozy, um, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about what was a really really strange year. Are What's our doing? shirts
0: coming off, or are we gonna keep them on?
1: No, nah, I think we'll keep our clothes on, but um, we'll, 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 oh. keep, we'll keep our yapping. We'll keep our yapping on.
0: All right. Well, we'll make we'll try and be very sensual in the way that we talk, and try and be <laughs> really flinty, and try and you know arouse the ears of everybody that's around us. And we'll go,
1: um, we'll, we'll go for love song dedications. You know, where you really lean into the microphone <laughs> and you talk really, you talk really like this. You know.
0: <laughs> who would you like to dedicate? Who right? would you dedicate a love song to, Joel?
1: Me. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe John Millman. Maybe, yeah. uh, maybe Johnny or um yeah i want to say Johnny or alina has been Alina, but maybe <laughs> i don't know Gail,
0: maybe, probably wouldn't like that so maybe not oh mate that is um that is going straight on social media um yeah Joel uh, we'll put up like compare the pair and you you're, you're going to be working you're going to be working for a superannuation company anyway so um we can we can actually do Great. that with um with a uh, with a lot of fun Uh, ingrained in our minds as well. But we've waffled on enough. Let's talk about the year that was today. We do have a very special couple of guests. Uh, We've got uh, Steve from Ace Tennis Previews, who you heard with us earlier on in the year. And if you listen back all the way in on day one to Breakpoint Podcast, not on the very first episode, but it was about a a few months in or maybe a year in, we have Jeff Dickinson Fox. Um, He joined us as well to chat about uh, the year that was. He's been doing all of our graphic designs as well, so it's great to have Jeff as part of Breakpoint and the Breakpoint family, as well. But Joel, the year that was the ATP, we'll start with that in January. It was the ATP Cup, the inaugural ATP Cup. It was Serbia that held on. We saw some phenomenal matches of tennis, and I think the one that encapsulated us the most was in the doubles between um, Joe Salisbury and uh, Jamie Murray, and then Alex De and Nick Kyrgios. It was phenomenal. Serbia won that. The Serbian flavour continued with Djokovic winning the Australian Open in, a, in an epic against Dominic Thiem in the final. He went undefeated until the shutdown in March that saw everybody shocked. Indian Wales, one case in the county. All of a sudden, tennis is done for a few months. We come back in August. It's Novak again who wins in Cincinnati, New York. Then we get to the US Open. He's on fire. He's undefeated. Enter, errant ball into Laura Clark's throat that changed a tournament it changed history essentially because Dominic Thiem became the first uh, well the first first time winner of a slam since Marin Cilic in 2014 we went to the clay Andre Rublev started to make his move Diego Schwartzman beat Nadal for the first time Djokovic won in Rome Rafa did Rafa things at Roland Garros and then we headed into the indoor hardcourt swing in Europe and Daniel Medvedev ended the year with a 10 match winning streak i'm out of breath and it was um yeah it was a, it was an awesome year in a lot of ways and I think we saw some we saw some phenomenal matchups we saw some phenomenal encounters and um the the story of the year Joel I'd like to ask this of you and just see from just straight off the top of your head what was the main thing that you took in in a positive sense the positive story of the year on on the ATP.
1: I'm gonna say, I'll give us, I'll give you two things. Actually, yeah. they're kind of, they're kind of intertwined. So the word for me, Val, is opportunity. Yeah. Um, and look, as bad as the year it was, we know that, and as difficult as it was to organise the tours, and and we know that a lot of people um, on the circuit, uh, you know, did the wrong things, and there was a fair bit of discontent. Yeah. Um, what was what was a real positive for me is that. Um, at both ends of the tennis spectrum, we saw a lot of people break through and we saw it actually turn into a really positive year uh, for a lot of people. Um, you know, but we were talking a lot about the US Open being the first Grand Slam after the restart and whether it was a good idea. And we were both extremely paranoid and extremely critical yep. of it actually going ahead. But, um, you know, the more that we learned about it um, and the more it progressed and uh, I suppose the better that New York City actually dealt with their own um, outbreak of, of COVID-19, the bubble was really sound. Um, we know there was no qualifying. Um, a lot of the uh, the draws were were stripped back. But, um, you know, you look at a guy, and we've, we've, we've cited this one a lot, a guy like Chris O'Connell, who worked his butt off for that opening to get himself into the top 128 positions, got himself an automatic uh, entry into that main draw uh, and actually won his first round match, set himself up a match against Daniel Medvedev, didn't quite win that. Um, Medvedev pretty pretty well got the job done um, in the end. But you know, you look at something like that and think, you know, if 2020 hadn't have come around and they hadn't have thrown up all these all these balls and you know fired off all these things, would that have happened? You know, would would Chris O'Connell have got his um, you know first ever first ever um, main draw Grand Slam main draw win? Um, potentially no. And then you look at the other end of the spectrum, and we had finally a new Slam winner. Yep. Um, and you could probably make a case for that being in part due to, um, you know, Novak, uh, what was Mark SaFor's word for it? Uh, throating Laura th- Clark. He, th- um, he throated Probably. Laura Clark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could probably make a case for it in, in large part, um, you know, being thanks to that because Novak was uns- fairly unstoppable at that point. Um, although he had lost that first set against Pablo and busta We can't forget that.
0: Um, well, it, he was down a break. He hadn't lost it yet.
1: Yeah, or was on the verge of losing yeah. it. Anyway, um, Dominic team got himself his maiden in Grand Slam, really pushes the, the big three. Um, you know, we, we desperately needed a new Slam winner in, in men's tennis and, and we got it. So, as yeah, as tough as it was, 2020, there was, uh, you know, quite a few positive things that happened.
0: Yeah, and, and you're exactly right. There was, and I think John Millman, another big one, winning his first ATP title, in Nur-Sultan, we saw the emergence of Andre Rublev, um, winning five titles this year. He was the title leader, equal match win leader of the tour. We saw, um, and we saw Diego Schwartzman, 170 centimeters reach. Well, we think it's his ceiling, but who knows? He's a semi-finalist at Roland Garros now, with with his win over Team in a five-hour epic. Played pretty well against Nadal as well, but we saw him reach a career-high ranking of eight and play the ATP Finals as well. And I think that was such a positive and. Even dating back to January, I think amidst the bushfires um, there was a lot of smog there was doubt around the Australian open the air quality there as well as to whether things would go ahead as normal it did the ATP Cup was a resounding success and we saw some brilliant matches and leading into that what what was your best match of two thousand and twenty on a on a men's sense
1: yeah there were a few um just sort of racking my brain um, back to to what I can remember. There were, yeah, there were quite a few. I think um, I'm almost going to say the the Australian Open final. To be honest, between Ooh, yeah. um, between Novak Djokovic and Dominic Team, that was that was a terrific match. We watched we watched it together, and I suppose collectively probably didn't get the result that we really wanted to see. We no. we really wanted the, I guess the you know the the change of of team winning that. Um, but, you know, it was a great quality match of tennis and, and team had himself in a good position. Um, but, you know, Novak just did Novak things, you know, just when you think he's kind of not so much down and out, but when he's up, he's you know, his back's against the wall, um, he just found a way to win. And, um, you know, it was a match where there were moments. Um, and you look at that, that missed drop volley from from team, probably halfway through the, through the fifth set, and you could probably say, well, that was, in hindsight, probably the, the nail in, in the coffin. Um, but, yeah, it was... Yeah, it was a brilliant match and it was a great way to to start the year off. Um, and uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, obviously, what what preceded it, um, you know, wasn't exactly what we were after. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was a match to savor at the time.
0: It definitely was, and I think looking back for me, and I, I was at, I had the pleasure of being at this match, and it. Took me through every single bit of emotion that I that I've that I've had. And there has been a few sporting events and few sporting occasions that have had this, but this one was a roller coaster ride in every sense of the word, and it was the 2020 Australian Open quarterfinal between Roger Federer and Tennis Sangren. And everybody forgets that Federer played this year because he's played the one tournament pretty much, and that was the Australian Open, where he did make the semis. But this match. Not for its quality, but for its drama. And Sandrin was all over Federer. He was all over him. Had um, his first match points at 5-4 up in the fourth set. Then he had a couple more. in the. Um, then I think he had two more. So uh, at 6-5 up in the fourth set. Then we get to the fourth set tiebreaker. He has another four match point opportunities. And Federer manages to save them all. And it was just so tense. Federer didn't want to make that error. He was making Sandrin play the points. Sandrin got tight and Roger ended up holding on and winning that fourth somehow um, in an epic tie break that I think he won 10-8. And then all of a sudden the fifth set he comes back and wins it and the crowd just went bonkers towards the end of it because it was a true Houdini act. And then I think if you look later on in the year, uh, we did have some epic Three set encounters. I think the match between um, uh, Dominic Team and Novak Djokovic in, um, in, in the ATP Finals on a more recent um, uh, on, a, on a more recent occasion than what Dominic Team and um, Diego Schwartzman produced at Roland Garros in the quarterfinals this year. That was a five hour epic. So I think we've been blessed this year amidst all the crap that we've had to deal with. We've been blessed with some good tennis.
1: Yeah, we have. Um, and uh, on top of on top of my best match, I'll give a, a close second to uh, Borna Ciaric versus Stefano pass at the US yes. Open. That was an outstanding match of tennis. It really was.
0: It was. It was an ultimate choke from pass wasn't it? How many match points did he have? I think yeah. five or served for it a couple of times. It was just, it was a yeah. disaster for him and Borna Chorich ended up getting through to um, his first Grand Slam quarterfinal as well. So um, brilliant stuff from the both of them. Um, from the both of them in that encounter. Your best player of 2020, Joel, for the men?
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's a tough question. There's been a few. I think uh, I'll, I'll stick with who I said on, on uh, our uh, end-of-year show for for The Tennis Menu. If you head over to The Tennis Menu on YouTube and uh, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at The Tennis Menu, uh, I said Andre Rublev, um, 41 wins for the year, five titles, about $2 million in prize money. I'm going to stick with him. Um, it was a real breakout year for him. Got himself a career-high ranking of uh, eight and uh, first-ever appearance at, at the year-end finals. And what was really nice as well was we saw uh, the first-ever meeting of two players that played at the next-gen finals at the year-end finals, which was really nice. Um, uh, Rublev and Sitsipas uh, and as well.
0: Exactly. And they only played two years ago at the, at the next-gen finals. So I thought it was... Yeah. I, I, I love that initiative still by the ATP um, to have that next-gen finals this year. It couldn't obviously go ahead, but it should be included as an ATP title, and I still reject the fact that it's not because it used to be, and then they changed it. So, very irritating. Cool. They need to they need to fix that up. But I concur. Rublev had a really bloody good year, but I'm going to have to go with Dominic Team. I think that the way he played and the consistency that he showed, he was the only player, male or female, to make the quarterfinals at all three slams this year, and I think that the way... He went about his business. The way he plays is just, it's just so exciting to watch because it's brute force. It is brute force. And I think it's, we had, we, we've had had—we've had those players with the one-handed backhand that have been able to come through and um, behind the big three. And we've had Stan. Now we've got team that's pushing that barrier. That brute force power that he's got, very much like Stan, can win grand slams. And that's what we've seen. The ability to take the game away from your opponent, but play good defensively as well. And that's what he was able to do. He was able to play that um, that exciting, flashy tennis, but also the defensive tennis. And and Mark Zafoulis has said it on this show before. Um, attack wins matches, defense wins tournaments. And that's what team was, has been able to develop and produce over the last couple of years on clay, yes, but he's got that on hard court now. And I think that's the most impressive thing for me this year with what Dominic team has been able to um, establish about his game. And he's entrenched himself as one of the big guys in tennis now that can go um, with the big three over best of five. So it's it's extremely impressive what he was able to do this year. Joel, you're, now this one's interesting because we'll go worst player. Yep. Who had the worst season? You can say on court, off court, does not matter.
1: Yep. Yeah, so look, there, there are two that comes to mind. I'm sure, I'm sure one of these guys will, will get brought up at some point. Um, I, I might, I might leave that one to you. And if if you don't mention him, then we'll we'll mention him because he deserves a mention because um, it's been that bad. Um, but um, yeah, look, I'm going to go going to go a bit sort of left field. He's a guy that you know, he's not, he's not, he's not up in the up in the, the you know the, the upper echelons of tennis, but he's certainly there or thereabouts. Um, up around the 30s, 40s. Uh, Nikolaus Um geez, ever since ever since the, the COVID restart, um, or the, the break and then the restart after the COVID break, I should say, he, he was just awful. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure the number of matches that he played, but he didn't win any matches, and he only won one set. Now, that is uh, horrendous, and what's perhaps even worse is the fact that um, next year... Uh, in Georgia, he's uh, off to trial for um, domestic abuse-related charges. So, uh, yeah, look, certainly not a not, not a good year at all for for Nick Was.
0: Yeah, definitely not. Um, look, I'm actually not sure where you wanted me to go here um, with the next one oh, because really? I was ex- I was expecting you to say one player, but I, you know, well,
1: sorry, say yours, say yours, and then we'll go from there.
0: All right. Well, you know who I'm going to go for, and yes, he won a Slam in January. Yes. He was almost unbeatable on court and all these other accolades. He was playing so well. But you know what? Off court, he had a shocker. He was terrible. And it was his whole family. It was his whole fans. Everything around this Djokovic stigma was just terrible this year. His antics in the Australian Open final. Disgusting. The Adria Tour and not taking any responsibility for it. Disgusting. Disgusting. Promoting charlatans on his Instagram account, disgusting. Promoting anti-vax, disgusting. His fans, sycophants, disgusting. His wife promoting um, that the COVID or that COVID is a conspiracy on Instagram, disgusting. His father that saying Grigor Dimitrov ruined the Adria tour. What what's the word, Joel? What well, what is the word? Disgusting. <laughs> Everything about it has been disgusting. His mother saying he was chosen by God that he's the second coming of Jesus. She didn't actually say <laughs> that, but um, yeah, it's honestly it was a disaster. Then Laura Clark, then the PTPA. This guy yeah. and and he did and he barely exp- expressed his apology through any of it, and he had to urge his fans to stop abusing Laura Clark online. And I and I, it was just. Honestly, it was, a, it was a really torrid year for Novak Djokovic and it just entrenched that I was right about him all along. Ever since he beat Chris Guccione in that Adelaide final back in 2007, I knew something was up. I knew something was up and I was right. So yeah. that's mine. Um, was that who you were expecting me to go for or was it, was it uh, the uh, other kind of elephant in the room?
1: No, well, it wasn't. Well, actually, it was not it wasn't. Like, I knew I knew Novak was going to come up at some point. But um, the man the man that I had on the tip of my tongue was um, Mr. Alexander Zverev. Now, Alex, you are an absolute peanut, my friend. <laughs> just, oh, seriously, just the way that he's dealt with the off-court stuff is just horrendous. I mean, mate, you could not have handled it any worse. Like, taking prompts from your phone, not so subtly, in a press conference – um, shocking what he said to Medvedev's wife um, in Paris. Awful, um, just just shocking, and it's a it's a real pity because um, he's actually had a really good year on court, but just the way that he's handled himself off it has just been absolutely shit house. To be honest.
0: Yep, <laughs> yep. And Joel, uh, Joel, we know he loves dropping the uh, dropping the curse words on uh, on this show. <laughs> um, he's done it a few times all the way back since day one on this program, but. Um, the predictions for 2021, Joel. Um, let's get yours on the men's.
1: Yeah. Um. My my prediction on the men's half of things is that we'll have another new Grand Slam winner. Yep. Um, and I think that the most likely uh, two players to cement themselves as major winners will be uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas and also Daniel Medvedev. Um, and really, really excited particularly to see what Daniel can do. Um, after ending the season with so much momentum, 10 wins in a row, two titles um, in Bercy, and also at the year-end finals. um, And the Australian Open, I think is really going to suit him well.
0: I think so as well. And that steers very nicely into my predictions. I've got two, and um, we did say these on the Tennis Menu's um, year-end review show, so go check them out on uh, YouTube at the Tennis Menu on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and LinkedIn as well. But also... Daniel Medvedev, after Wimbledon next year, he has barely any points to defend compared to the other big three. He will be your world number one after Wimbledon next year. It's a big call, I know, but the the top two has not been held by anybody apart from the big four men of Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and Murray since Leighton Hewitt in two thousand and five. That is a long time coming. I think it's going to be Team and Medvedev that can break that streak next year. But I do think, speaking of Wimbledon 2021, Roger Federer will win Grand Slam 21 there um, in, uh, at Wimbledon and just continue to further uh, impasse his legacy on everybody else and just show why he's just that good. So that's my um, that's my prediction for 2021 on the ATP. Let's move to the WTA and what we saw there. Early on in the year, Carolina Pliskova started the year brilliantly in Brisbane was playing so well. It was Barty in Adelaide who hoisted the trophy there. And it was also, well, it was Sophia Kennan, who defied everything and won the Australian Open in an epic final against Gabinia Muguruza. Then we had moved through February, fairly low-key month. Then we had uh, the shutdown. Then we had Cincinnati, New York, and a couple of tournaments in Europe. Halep looked good on the clay, bypassed the US Open. It was Azarenka and Osaka. They were the final in Cincinnati, New York. Osaka pulled out with a hamstring, didn't play the match. Then they were the final at the US Open. It was epic. Osaka lifting her third major trophy from a set down in the final. Then we go to the clay. Halep, the overwhelming favourite for Roland Garros. She was looking in ominous form, dispatching Amanda Anisimova, over the lady who beat her en route to the semi-finals in 2019. She dispatched her. And then, Iga Shwiontek. Joel picked her to win very early in the tournament. And she did just that for the loss of only 28 games. It was genuinely phenomenal. Only two tournaments after Roland Garros for the WTA, and they were in Ostrava and Linz. And guess what? It was the same winner, Arena Sabalenka, taking out both titles, going back to back to finish the year. And that's where we left it. That's what we're going to talk about. Joel, very, very interesting. Um, We've seen some... I think the, the best thing about the WTA now at the moment I think with Serena coming back to the pack is that we have 30 players that we can throw a blanket over and they're all going to be, and they're all going to be contending for the same tournament.
1: Uh, Yeah, we we really do. I mean, it's probably the most competitive uh, I I can remember the WTA in in quite a while. Um, And of course, as long as Serena Williams is there, she's always going to be, really pushing hard at, at the pointy end of tournaments. But there's no doubt that, um, and we've spoken about this a lot, that, uh, of course, she is you know, she is slowing down a little bit and there's no doubt that she's not getting any younger. But, of course, we can't write her off. But you're right, there's a lot of players that really can do some damage now um, at the top end. And we saw a few of those break out this year. Of course, Sophia Kennan at the uh, Australian Open. We really saw the full complement of, um, of the tricks that she has um, in her bag, and then, uh, of course, someone someone that just came out of nowhere in in uh, Iga I, I remember seeing a little bit of her at the Australian Open and thinking, yeah, look, she's pretty impressive, but she was kind of you know still floating around um, that forty to fifty mark, which is fair enough because she's nineteen. Yeah, um, and I mean, she well fairly smashed um, any expectation of of her, and, and certainly defied her age um, in, in Roland Garros. And what was so impressive about it was. Whenever she stepped out onto the court, it, it was becoming quite clear that she was not intimidated by any opponent, not even Simona Halep, And basically, just said to whoever stood on the opposite side of the court, "You're out here to beat me. I'm just going to stand yeah. here and and hit against you, and you're going to have to get past me." And well, no one did <laughs> in the end. Um, no. And it was uh, it was just brilliant to see she played with so much bravado. It was um, it was just fantastic. And then yeah, we saw we saw. Um, Obviously, as you said, Arena Sabalenka finished the year with two consecutive titles, and it really feels like her and Naomi Osaka are probably going to be, in a sense, I guess, the higher to the throne of Serena Williams. I still really believe that Naomi Osaka is in prime position, but Sabalenka has such a powerful game where, um, if if she can put together that consistency, she could really, um, you know, bring together a lot of the elements of a Serena Williams type game and, and win a lot of things.
0: Yeah, no, I think so as well. And um, Sabalenka, she does hit a really big ball. She's got a big forehand, a big backhand. She's got the ability to trouble those top players. Consistency is still the issue, but I guess finishing the year with two titles will give you the confidence going into 2021. Your best match of the year, Joel Fritchie. Yeah, um,
1: yeah th- this is a really hard one. Um, I-, I think I-, I could almost cast back to to the AO final um, with Kenin and Muguruza, but... Now, look, I think I think partly as well because of the sentimental factor, I think I've got to go Shiontek versus Halep. Um, <laughs> you know, that was... <laughs> I, I because know, you I picked, picked it. it? Well, yeah, because I picked it. But also because, you know, it was... I feel like that was a match where we really did see um, the... A, a, we, we saw a star being born right, right then and there. Um, you know, obviously, she'd had a good run at Roland Garros up until then. But that was when you really knew... Um, you know just how how serious she was. Um, it was it was just brilliant to watch. She absolutely crushed Simona. Really,
0: yep. Uh, figuratively, literally, in any way, shape, and form, Halep was as flat as the dirt uh, as the dirt that they were playing on um, during that match. My best match of the year, I think, I would have to go back to the U.S. Open semi between Azarenka and Serena. I think that the way that match evolved and the way that Azarenka was able to figure out the puzzle that was troubling her and what Serena was able to do in the opening set to blast her off the court 6-1 and be up a break in the second. And then all of a sudden, I, I think it might've been a break or it was very close to being one, but Azarenka was able to hold firm and just continue on her merry way. And she was able to figure out the puzzle and, and go on and, and just negate the Williams power and start to move her around the court. And once she got a feel for the match and a feel for the court that she was playing on at the time, her mentality was just there and the technique just followed. She was re- she was just ready to go. She broke Serena mentally. And as soon as that third set was beginning, you knew that Azarenka was going to win that match. And I think mentally, she's improved so much with her um, with her mindset and her mindfulness. And I think what she's been able to do has been phenomenal. So brilliant stuff there from Victoria Azarenka. Your, I think you gave me an indication of who it pretty much was. But your best player, Iga Swiatek. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna
1: go with Iga. I think I've got her.
0: Yeah, I think
1: I've got her. Yeah, yeah. And the thing with her is that the thing with Iga is that she's not going to be a flash in the pan. She's gonna be she's gonna be up the top of the WTA for a long. time. A long time um she's just got all the bases covered and obviously there's a, a lot of players do it but I, I just love the fact that she's working with the sports psychologist so early in her career it means i mean to me that tells me that she really sees the value and the importance of getting your mind right as much as getting your game right and that's that's for me a real show of maturity at such a young age
0: yep i think so as well um yeah i, I thought she was absolutely brilliant throughout the french open um my, and yeah, you you are actually correct about the sports psychologist. That's a really underrated one. But my best player, and I've had all day to think about this, and I still can't think, and I still can't get it right. Oh, I don't, I think it's got to be, and again, Azarenka. I think for what she was able to do, what she was able to come back from, Um, I think it was the story of the year, really, to see her doing so well and, and getting to another major final after seven years in the major final wilderness, so yeah, brilliant stuff from Azarenka. Your worst player, Joel?
1: Oh, well, worst player. Um, I'm probably going to have to go off court again, mainly for for this one. Um, and for me, when it comes to the off court stuff, there was a uh, one player who was uh, head and shoulders above everyone else, um, and that was uh, Dayana Stravskaya. Now, yeah, um, yeah, I mean. There were a couple of things that went wrong for Diana this year. She wasn't particularly good on the court and often um, she was horrible. Um, the, uh, in the wake of the, I suppose, the the start really um, of the, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, she posted, she thought to post those photos of herself in essentially half natural, half blackface, which is what it was really. Um, and... Yeah, oh, yeah, it was just it was just so ill considered. I, I can't believe that she did it. Um, you know, uh, we can say we can say like who was advising her, but I mean, she should have been aware of that. To be honest, um, there was really no excuse for it. Um, and then and then also um, later in the season, there was the breakup with her coach um, Sasha Bajan, who now um, is uh, coaching Karolina Plisik like, by going into next year. But the funny thing with that was. Um, <laughs> When he went on Twitter and congratulated an, an opponent um, that Diana played against for being the better player on the day. Um, just incredible stuff. Yeah. A really, really messy breakup and, and probably a fitting end to the season for her.
0: Yeah, I think so. And yeah, it, it just wasn't a good year for Diana Yastremska. I've, I've pretty much got her as well. The one other one I do have to throw forward is Sarah Arani for her piss poor effort. Yeah in the Roland Garros uh, second round against uh, Kiki Burton's, or was it the first round? I can't remember. But taunting an injured player, definitely not on on uh, that part. But, but a bit of news before we do get to our first get, and our predictions. Um, the WTA is making their tournament announcements, or they're making their tournament structure very much closer to the ATP, which is a lot less confusing. So premium Mandatory's and Premier 5 events are becoming one, WTA 1,000s or 1,000s. This is according to um, uh, Marca, the Spanish publication. Um, Premier events are becoming 500s, Internationals becoming 250s, and 125k events are becoming 125. So we're not sure about the names, but that's what it's being reported as, and that is extremely exciting. And the Mature Madrid Open becoming a two-week event as of 2021, which is exciting as well as we're going to spend a lot longer in the Spanish capital, but the predictions for 2021, Joel. Uh,
1: yeah. Being, yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, you know, I think there are going into next year. There are probably, there's probably a couple of players that really come to mind. Certainly, um, you know, when we talk about Serena really slowing down and, and kind of who is waiting in the wings to kind of, uh, jump up to the top of, of women's tennis. There's certainly a few players uh, in that top 10 that we can look at and we can say they have enough uh, to make a serious impact um, on on the tour. Um, probably two of them are, and we referenced her before, Pliskova, who's had a bit of a, a coaching carousel, essentially, a bit of a merry go round. Um, she's had a few coaches. Um, I think um, Danny Valhadu was. Was yep. on on board um, at a, at a point last year. They broke up, and then um, as we said before, um, Sasha Um you know, she she really needs to start making an impact because yep. she's been around for a while. She's been a world number one, but she's still yet to win a major. Um, you know, I think it'd be a real shame if and she's obviously still got a little bit a little bit of time left, but she's in the prime of her career now. She really has to maximise where she is, and it'd be a real shame if we got to the end of her career and she'd be able to out without one. And the other player is Elena's little my um, future wife. I think uh, she um, she is in kind of that. Uh, yeah, sorry, Gail. Um, she's kind of in that kind of similar period where you know she's had she's had some time kind of just floating around, um, but she's at a point now where she really needs to start making an impression and start to to win things.
0: Yep, I uh, I'm just, I can't get my head around you trying to just usurp Gail Monfils. Um, for the uh, role of Alina Alina's partner, but um, not sure how far you are going to get. The dance floor is where you need to get Gail, um, so you've got to start working on those dance moves. My prediction for two thousand and twenty-one: Ash Barty to win a Slam. Simple as that. I think the buffer that she set up. We can't forget how well she played towards the back end of two thousand and nineteen in the rankings. Buffer that she does have um, over Simona Halep in world number two in the number two position. I think it's fifteen hundred points. So. Um, I think she's going to win a slam next year as well and we'll see why she has remained world number one throughout the entirety of 2020. But Joel, it's time for our special guests. Let's get into them. Our first special guest on today's year-end review show is a man that we had on earlier in the year. He's an absolute gum when it comes to picking matches and picking winners, picking tournament champions. He outsmarts me and Joel on a daily basis. He's an absolute legend when it comes to this sport, and he does so much great work um, for the tennis community in Australia. It's Steve from Ace Tennis Previews. Remember, you can go to acetennispreviews.com and also ace underscore previews on Twitter. You can follow him. Steve, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show and talking about this weird and wonderful uh, and bizarre 2020, I guess. How are you?
2: Very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Yeah, look, it's, it's been a bit of a funny one, hasn't it? I mean, I was sitting at, at Melbourne Park, what, in the middle of January, covered in smoke, thinking yeah. that, was going to be, that was going to be the weirdest thing that I saw in all of the tennis season. And now we're, you know, getting towards the end of the year, most of the tennis is done, and that was just scratching the surface.
0: I know. Well, yeah, that first qualifying day was something to behold. You're sitting there on court eight watching Max Purcell play, and um, and then all of a sudden you look up at the city skyline, and you can barely see the buildings because of what was occurring with the bushfires all around um, the the eastern coast of the country. And yeah, it was it was such a I don't know it was such a full on summer. And remember, we had at the end the Australia is Open tag um, at the at the Australian Open to say that you know what it's not affecting the airports and everything. The whole of Australia is not on fire, you absolute pillheads. You can still come, um, but yeah. Now all of a sudden, a month later, we have a massive shutdown of the tour, and um, then we get to August, and yeah, all hell breaks loose everywhere around the world with with tennis. And yeah, it's it's been a really interesting year. So really keen to get your thoughts on it, Steve. But we'll start with the men's and um. One thing that I'm really interested to ask you is what has been your best, or what was your best match of 2020? Best match of 2020.
2: Look, there's probably a couple that were from the same, you know, the same opponents. It's hard to go past the Nadal versus team match from the Australian Open, but then also backing it up at the the year end finals as well. I think, you know, there's something refreshing about watching someone go 110 percent for you know hours and hours and hours on end against a player like Nadal and you know to be able to not only beat him at, not only for team to beat Nadal at the Australian Open in, in four sets but to then back it up again and you know put a, put in a pretty impressive performance the other week as well I think they're probably some of the standout ones I mean there's, there's a couple of other ones you know that not so much full matches, but you know there was I think Monfils was able to get some match points against uh, Novak Djokovic earlier in the year, and you know there was a couple like that that maybe not the full match because most of those matches normally end in Novak saving match points and then a 6-1 third set or something yeah. that kind of blotters out and it loses its appeal a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's hard to go past those matches. I think that team versus Nadal, they've continued their rivalry for the last couple of years. Yeah.
1: Steve, I just want to clarify, um, are you, you're talking about Rafa, right? Not Sumit Nagal?
2: No, Rafa. No, I I, <laughs> I, don't, I no longer talk about um, Sumit Nagal. Look, if he does come out to Melbourne, I will get down and watch him because I feel like I've confused him for some other people and you know, I, I do apologise to those people, but... No, I need to be very careful. When I say Nadal, I need to say Raphael before it. So that's uh, that's my mistake. Thanks for picking me up on that one. <laughs> oh, that was
1: very funny. I, I still can't yeah. believe that whole thing happened. It was actually – I thought it was quite funny. But anyway, uh, clearly some people didn't. But some, let's talk about <laughs> Dominic Team because uh, I know Val and I have been chatting a lot about him um, this year. And, uh, I mean, he just has been so unbelievably impressive. And feels like he's really kind of broken that ceiling almost of – big three with Federer and Nadal and Djokovic and if he's not already in there I mean he's very
2: much kind of just banging his fist on the door yeah I think there's there's a couple of parts to his 2020 story I think when you look at there's the pre-COVID the during the COVID and the post-COVID suspension or tour suspension during the COVID suspension I thought he was a little bit foolish kind of traveling everywhere and playing basically in every country under the sun and you know there was some Real interesting decisions made there, but if you look at the pre and the post, I felt like you know sitting at the the final of the Australian Open against Novak, you felt like he took a significant step forward there, and I think we've seen him in the past take that step forward on clay against Nadal in a couple of those finals. You can tell you know he's starting to progress a little bit, and you know he'd fallen short at some of the other slams, but then you know he was up two sets to one there and was really pushing Novak. You know, Pre-significantly in that match, it's it's like a lot of those players, and you know they get to that chapter in their their tennis story where you know the only way to get to the next chapter is to win a Grand Slam, and you know he's been kind of writing a very long chapter, and he was finally able to you know close off and you know put a put a full stop on that chapter at the U.S. Open, and it was a nice kind of finish, I guess, to that part of the story. It, it nearly didn't go. To plan with, you know, cramps and you know trailing Alexander Zverev, but you know, I, I think he he really took significant steps forward. And now that he's you know he's done everything that he on the tour, um, I think it's going to be a a big chance for himself to to take a step forward and try and stay ahead of the likes of you know Medvedev coming behind it.
0: Yeah, I do agree. And and how many players have we seen write those really long chapters that ended up being the final chapter of their novel? Joe Wilfrid Songer, Thomas Burditch, David Ferrer, David Nalbandian. Um, the list goes on. So, um, I think it's it's really good to see that team was able to crack through and, and win that slam. And um, looking at the way that he did play this year, and you mentioned those matches with Rafa. I think it was, I think he the the five sets that he took off Nadal this year were all in tie breaks. So he was able to do it in the clutch moments, which I think was the most impressive part. But I think looking at, at your player of the year is something that I'm really interested to hear as well. So who was your player? You can keep it as obvious as you like or maybe as obscure as you like, but on the ATP, who was your player of 2020? Good question.
2: I mean, team is certainly up there. Um, you, you, know, you can give honourable men. Like, th- there's the obvious players, I think, that you can look that they've been able to kind of add to their CV quite significantly. You know, the Dials won another Grand Slam. But, you know, we kind of expected those things in a weird way. We have such high expectations of them. It's hard to go past, in a weird way, it's hard to go past John Millman just because of how the season finished off. And it was a real, I, I feel like that, That week for him winning the title was a real summary, I guess, of of what he's kind of gone through in his career to get to that point. And I think when you look at his attitude and you look at his demeanour and how he handled that week, compared to, say, O'Reilly O'Palka, who tweeted it would be impossible to break even financially travelling and playing in the tournament, do you think Milman cares about it now, having won a title? I, I think it's... It's those little stories, I think, that, you know, Melbourne could have easily been the next Benito in terms of not winning a title and, you know, putting together these performances. I think it was, was it Tokyo last year where yep. he copped Novak, Novak in a final? Like, you, you look yep. at those things and you, you think that, you know, there's been all these situations, you know, up against Federer at the Australian Open and, and kind of pushing through. I think, you know, I'm more interested in those stories, particularly on the men's side. But I think yeah, if if you're looking at the top tier, it's gotta be, you know, dominant team with probably Medvedev not far behind, yeah. which is impressive considering he had a pretty poor stretch there. And and from that that next tier I'd have to say, you know, yeah, probably probably John Millman. And it's worth reminding our listeners
1: that uh, Steve was very big on Medvedev winning the, the year end finals and, and so approved. So another feather in your cap, Steve. And it's an interesting point that you raised on John Milman, uh, as well. And it's just it's so true. Just the fact that he won his first title in, in a year like this, I think, really does epitomise uh, the man's journey, and, and we love him for how humble he is and how hardworking he is, and just how much he, he really, uh, you know, kind of embodies uh, the sport. It's all the qualities that we want. And I guess certainly by by the opposite side of the coin, there have been a few blokes, uh, a few blokes on the tour this year that probably haven't really done the same, whether it be on the court or, or off the court. So, uh, who's someone that you want to give a, maybe a bit of a
2: smackdown to? <laughs> Look, I think you guys have a award named after him, don't you?
1: It, it's, <laughs> we do. We <laughs> do. I, like, if you
2: compare my life 12, 12 months ago to now, like things have, have changed significantly. Even eleven months ago, I was in Brisbane watching Benoit Paire play um, Lovick, I think it was, and I think it got to you know he was serving for a, a straight set win, and it all just kind of fell apart. He had some match. He had some match points at Tyback, smashed his rack, and I thought he would go, this is gonna, you know, this is gonna be Benoit's year again of just absolute turmoil. And then he turned it around and won the third set. And I thought, oh, maybe Benoit's kinda of turned the corner. Then he went and played cards in New York, and it's all seemed to have just <laughs> capitulated.
0: The social I think, butterfly.
2: Well, exactly. I, I think you know, he's he's one you'd have to look but look at. The other one that I would consider as an honorable mention. And this is ignoring. I think you put the Adria to a cluster as their own entity that probably get their own award off to the side somewhere. I, I just hope Sam Query hasn't ruined the Australian Open for everyone. Have we found?
0: Have it. we found him yet?
2: Yeah, I don't know, but I hope he doesn't come to Melbourne.
0: Yeah,
2: it, it's. It's one of those ones, and and you look at the behaviour, and it's like, well, it's really hard to kind of, you know, sure mistakes have been made by some other people, and they've kind of had poor intentions, but you know, to to flee the country with your other infected family members isn't a great look. And look, to be fair, his tennis was pretty woeful this year, so he he's one another one that I think you know probably not not the best year for for Big Sam.
0: Yeah, definitely not. Um, former top ten player has had his. Time in the sun, but yeah, his um his private jet escapade out of Russia was uh, was fairly interesting to say the least. We'll move over to the WTA now and um there's been some cracking matches there this year as well, and I-, I think it's been so even throughout the entire of the season. Um in terms of just being able to throw a blanket over probably twenty or thirty players in any in any given tournament or any given scenario. What was your best match on the WTA?
2: Oh, I'd probably go back again to the Australian Open. And, this is and good. I like final.
0: this because we're actually going back and reminding people that there was a pre-COVID tour.
2: I'm, I'm trying to go back. I, I, look, I don't know if it was if I'm biased because I was there, but the women's final between Muguruza and Kennan was. After a set, I thought this was going to be an incredibly one-sided match and Muguru was going to run away with it. it, While it may not have been the best match overall, I think there was a game in the third set from Kennan, was it at 3-all or somewhere in that kind of ballpark, where she was serving at Love 40, and she's reeled off five winners to basically flip the script entirely and I remember sitting there going from you know I've never gone from well she's she's in all sorts of trouble to I don't think she'll lose in five points before quite like I did that night and you could feel the whole atmosphere shift of the whole arena and that sounds really sad to say because there's not going to be that many people in the arena next year but you could feel the whole momentum shift and, and you saw Muguruza's shoulders drop and you know from there, it was basically it was almost one way traffic in, in a way. I, I think that's something that stands out. Couple that with the fact that the world number one hasn't played since March and it's still the world number one. It's uh it's been an interesting year. Yeah, it has been. And uh, you read my
1: mind on uh, on that point of the match, Steve. I, I remember it quite uh, you know, quite vividly. It was just an incredible game. And um, I mean, it's interesting talking of Sofia Kennan, you know, Obviously, she'd had a, a big Australian Open and. I actually watched her up close at Margaret Court Arena one night. I forget who she was playing. It may have been Zhang Shui. So it was, a, it was a pretty interesting game. And obviously she's a bit of a, a tricky customer, Zhang Shui. And then um, Sophia got through that one and, and obviously kept progressing and progressing to the final beat, Ash Barty. And then we had that moment in, in the final. And I mean, throughout that whole time, I was kind of gradually learning a bit about her. Obviously mm-hmm. knew a bit about her already, but you know, um, had never really kind of watched her extensively. But... It was very much in that final and in that run where you kind of watched it. and You thought she's got she's got guts. She really has guts. Yeah. And um, I mean, as we know on the on the WCA, if you if you can do that, then I mean, that, that really sets you above a lot of the others.
2: And and I think with her, so my opinion of her certainly shifted quite a bit across that fortnight. I think you you know if you hadn't seen much of her, you'd look at her demeanour between points and you'd be almost put off a little bit you know, she can get, looks like she's quite hard on herself and, you know, she'll throw the ball around and become quite, you know, frustrated. But as soon as she starts bouncing the ball for her next point, you can see that she can just block that all out and move on. Yeah. And I don't think you, I think it's something you don't really see with her until you you see her live and you can actually see what's going on without cameras kind of panning in and out. That, you know, you see her and you're like, well, hang on, I think she's actually, you know, She's vented her frustration at that point, sure, but then she's able to actually go right, reset, off we go. And I think that that game in the third set was a testament to that. That she put together three pretty average points. Went, that's fine. It's a grand slam final. First time I've been here against someone who's won grand slams before, and just go, you know what? I'll just rattle off five winners. Off we go.
3: Yeah,
0: she's genuinely stunning. Even the way she played at the French Open before the injury sort of took its toll in the final. I thought, the um, you know, to make two slam finals in a year at her age, I think is so, so, so impressive. Um, A prediction for 2021 for the WTA. What do you think will happen?
2: WTA? I, I don't know if this is a prediction as much as something that I, I'd like to see. I'd like to see four slam winners again. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think going back to that, I love – and I think the women's game is in a much better position at the moment than the men's game because you can throw a blanket over about 15 players legitimately who, on their day, can beat anyone else. And, and I think they've got that great mix at the moment of you – they've know, got a lot of players from a lot of different parts of the world that, that can you know, continue to improve the game. You know, We've got Barty here. We've got Osaka in Japan. We've got Andreescu and Kennet in in North America – I think we're going to see a bit more of a balanced year, but I would say I don't think Simona Halep will win a slam next year. Um, And I hope we get another first-time slam winner.
1: Yeah, likewise, certainly on the WTA and especially on the ATP as well, of of course. Definitely need some more on that side of things and quite possibly won't happen. But just um, before we do let you go, Steve, obviously we've spoken a bit about how it was a challenging year for for tennis but I mean there are a lot of people that were challenged probably a lot harder than, than tennis players were um, and recently found out myself and I think Val as well um, that you actually work in in the health slash hospital slash medical system so are you able to sort of talk to us about
2: what how your year has been yeah it's been a, it's it's been a bit of a funny one for me so I had a lot of personal kind of circumstances kind of flip on me january just before the australian Open, but you know up until december last year i was working full-time in in public health so with that you know it it was a bit you know some might say it's good time but obviously a lot of people i'm close to still work you know in the hospital system which is seen obviously one of the you know it it can be you know pretty busy at times and add to that over the last you know eight months or whatever it is that we're up to now that you know it's, it's certainly been um It's certainly been a tricky one. I think, you know, particularly as someone who stepped away, thinking that they probably should still be in it more than I am. So I I still do a little bit of work, but not to the extent I was doing before. It's um, yeah, it's interesting when you kind of take that step back, and then you see, yeah, be it tennis players complaining about something or you know something quite trivial, you know, things like the Tour or things you know, although it's not happening in Australia, you see these things, and it, it, it is certainly frustrating when you don't see other countries. You know, I I know our kind of approach and stance has been quite strict in a lot of ways to others, but I would much rather be in this circumstance where we're here with next to none of the virus around than, you know, thinking about, you know, if, if you compare, if you compare the US, how the US was just before Indian Wells and how it was one case, I think it was in the county, that stopped Indian Wales, and now you look at eight months later where they're at. I think although it's been a very exhaustive and stressful period for a lot of people, and a lot of people that I'm close with who, you know, are still, you know, it is still stressful, and there's still a lot of, you know, there's a lot of precautions and things in place. It, it's it's been a it, it's been a challenge, but I think, you know, in a way, and for me personally, it it has been, you know, as as much as we don't think that. You know, they're, they're like the everyday Australians or everyday people. It has been nice having the likes of tennis and AFL back and things that you can kind of divert your attention towards, I think, a little bit. I think there was a lot of people, you know, particularly when you think about, you know, Australians and Melbournians, when the AFL wasn't on for that period of time, you know, even just having that thing to kind of look forward to for the weekend or whatever it was, that weird patch where it was every night. You know, when you don't have those things that divert your attention, it can make things... You know, it it can make things a little bit more difficult. So yeah, it, it's been it's been tough, but look, I, yeah, basically every single part of my life is different now than it was 12 months ago. I mean doing this account, I hadn't put my face or my name to this, been running it for seven years and I just kind of had a banner up. So you know it's been a it's been a weird, weird 12 months. But I think that's the thing you have to try and make the most out of what we can, and, and hopefully that's kind of the motto and, and what we see over the next couple of months, particularly with, with tennis in Australia as well.
0: Yeah, well, fingers crossed we can see things get back to normal. Steve, you are an absolute superstar in anything you do, whether it be in the medical workforce or in tennis or anything else that you put your mind to. You are a absolute superstar, so we are very appreciative of having you on Breakpoint Podcast tonight. Oh, he's got a Legionnaires cap. <laughs> As we go, he has put on a legionnaire's cap. Um, I, if I could screenshot this without making a noise, I would. But um, th- that is that is absolutely brilliant and a uh, perfect way to end the interview. Steve from Ace Tennis Previews. Remember, get around the website acetennispreviews.com. dot com and on Twitter, ace underscore previews. Follow him. He does everything well. He's a superstar when it comes to picking uh, matches, winners. Whatever you need, he's much better than Joel and I at that. So um if you do need picks, go to Steve because he's uh, he's your man. Steve, thanks so much for joining us here on Breakpoint Podcast. It's been a pleasure as always. Not a problem. Thanks
2: very much for having me, and happy new year if I don't speak to you beforehand.
0: And Merry Christmas as well. Steve from Ace Tennis Previews joining us here on the podcast. And from one guest to another, we've had Steve. Now it's time for this special, special, special man. And we can't hype him up enough because his graphics for our podcast are well and truly, well, they are orgasmic. And <laughs> and I've said this directly to him on messages. And we have had him on the show. If you were listening from very day one, um, back when we used to do the show from the La Trobe University studios, we had this man in. His name is Jeff Dickinson Fox. He does all of our social media graphics and all of our show graphics and the, and the tweets with our quotes and anything else in between. He's our man. He's offered to do it for us. And we thought, you know what, it's our last show of the year. We have to get Jeff on. Jeff, how are you? And thank you for jumping on. And thank you for all the work that you've done for us this year because um, uh, it is marvellous.
3: Thanks, guys. But yeah, great to jump on. I mean, you had John Milman on last week, and look, I can't fill those shoes. I'll just be upfront with that. But yeah, great to join you, nonetheless.
0: Well, I didn't call John orgasmic, so that's got to be that's got to be some sort of um, some sort of upgrade, I guess. Um, but how how's everything been going for you in COVID? We're not in the same state. You're in. Uh, am I right in saying that you're still in Canberra?
3: Yeah, in a short term Canberra placement. Really trying something new. Um, yeah. Commonly, I work in sport like you guys, but um, you know we've all been displaced in one way or another through, because of COVID, and that's brought up some other job avenues in uh, in Canberra for me in health. So a bit of a new challenge.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's um, this year has been one of absolute craziness, so that's why we thought we'd get you in the chat a little bit about the craziness of tennis in 2020. And what has been your take of the year in tennis, and what have you thought of? Of what's happened and what's going on and um what's been the highlight
3: well it's just been very agile hasn't it i mean from week to week it, it's been you, you're never quite sure what's going to be delivered what's going to change it at no notice at all and i think it's been quite an achievement worldwide to get all these players yeah. into tournaments get them going finish them and You know, that was a few bumps along the way, but I think all in all, I think if we look back on this year now or in five years or in 10 years, I think that we would be quite impressed about what tennis and everyone in tennis has been able to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. And
1: having actually worked in health for a period, Jeff, do you you kind of like look at some of what's happened this year, mainly off the court, but obviously we've seen – probably what we call something of a lack of perspective from certain people on uh, on the respective tours. But do you kind of like look at it now from a health point of view and go, yeah, that was maybe a little bit over the top, so to speak?
3: Yeah, it looked like some risks were taken that were perhaps too adventurous. I mean, I can understand having the confidence and trying to roll these events out and, and learn from previous mistakes, but we just... Yeah, it partly was a reminder of how lucky we are to be in Australia because really I can't really comprehend some of the challenges those overseas tournaments faced. And, um, you know, I guess you, you understand that you need a bubble for the tournaments to work and you, you need people to be monitored to self isolate, but actually pulling that all together logistically, I mean, sometimes it's just not possible for. Some of these uh, areas hosting tournaments. So, um, look, yeah, lots, lots of, lot more respect for health uh, precautions. I think now from around the world. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, in the end, it did work for for some
1: people, and we're glad that it did work, work for, for John Millman, who the three of us absolutely love, and um, of course Scott, his title, and the, really the probably the, one of the most unlikely of. Locations. I know that uh, Val and I have, um, and certainly a lot of players that we've had on the show, have had a, a little bit to say about uh, Kazakhstan and even more. It was it's been more Uzbekistan,
0: Uzbekistan, mainly
1: was, mainly Uzbekistan, but also Kazakhstan to an extent. Although Johnny did say that he was actually quite well looked after in in Kazakhstan, but I mean, like, just your your reaction, um, Jeff, to Johnny winning that title because we all we all know that he deserves it so much. Yeah, it's it's a, a
3: massive achievement. I mean. He's just a great role model for the sport, and such a hardworking player. Having been from Queensland myself, seeing John Millman from the early days go right through, uh, you know, he's he's always been stayed true to his character and worked really hard, and deserves everything he can get coming from all those tough injuries which he talked about a bit on your show last week. So. Yeah, I'll be cheering him. But he's 31. I reckon he's got more in him. As he said, he's hoping for a big year next year. Uh, and I reckon he can deliver.
0: I think we all do. And um, Joel and I saw firsthand last week that John Millman is the nicest guy ever. And we all we all want the good guys to succeed. And seeing what he's been able to do has been a real revelation. But I guess, Jeff, looking ahead to 2021, there's a lot up in the air at the moment in terms of what is going to happen. And especially if we don't even know if the Australian Open is going to go ahead, Feb one is now the the day that we're sort of hearing about now. But what do you think will happen on a men's and women's perspective?
3: It's uh, all up in the. That's tough to say. It's all up in the air. Um, just going through the rankings right now, I mean, you've got some really, particularly the top fifteen. You, you've got your in the men's side at least. You've got your your men that have been there for for a decade or more, and your Djokovic's, your Nadal's, your Federer's. Um, But then you can also see the youth coming through, and like Medvedev and and team, perhaps this is the time where we see more of a transition to the next uh, generation of the top-tier tennis stars. And same for the women's side, I think more so in the women's side, where we've got more of an opening of the young players coming through. I think that's really something that's going to be emphasised and just the way those rankings work. I mean, you've got some really high-profile, well-known players that have quite a low rank Um, and in terms of, say, Grand Slam seeding, it's really going to not work in their favour and and could help to usher in some new, uh, new talent. That's a great segue because I want to
1: talk about the Australian Open with you boys, particularly with you, Jeff. Forget about the players, right? Are we going to see you make an appearance at the Australian Open next year? Because we need to have some beers. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Look, yeah, there's uh, plenty of reasons to come to Melbourne and the Australian Open is one of them. Look, I'm trying my hardest. Um, I have complete respect for the organisers of the tournament and for the Victorian <laughs> government and everyone trying to get this thing up. It's it's a major uh, thing for the economy and for getting everything back to normal as soon as possible. Um so look uh, fingers crossed and regardless beers are definitely on the agenda
0: well we can try and do something virtually but it's just not the same I think I'm so sick of I'm so sick of doing things over zoom um that you know it's it's helped us a lot this year but I think it's going to be nice to actually have that human interaction as well but um yeah looking at the Australian Open um what are your thoughts is it is it feasible to try do you think February one is actually a feasible day to, to actually start it if that is the if that is the go to if that is the go to date, I guess? Because they're even suggesting that qualifying might even be in Dubai next year.
3: Yeah, that would be something, wouldn't it? Just all the all the ways to try and get this going. I mean, we've already seen um, tournaments around australia have already confirmed to not go ahead and all the tennis if it does get played out of victoria um february does look like the best possible chance in my personal opinion to get the australian open up and going in 2020 um if you start going into march and april that's you know you're losing that that slot that the australian open has and draws many fans for and I know from, a say, a broad part, broadcaster's perspective, if you start going March and April, then in Australia you're starting to clash with winter sports and you're not going to get as much of an audience. And around the world it's perfectly... Like the Australian Open in January, it's it's in a normal year the biggest sporting event in the world. So if you start going February, March, you're sort of losing that, that association that the public has with your tournament and, and you're not going to get as good a result. So I think all involved would be looking to... If it, if it is not possible to do January anymore, uh, February would be a target that they would be strongly uh, hoping for.
0: Yep, I definitely agree. And Before we do let you go, Jeff, uh, it would be remiss to ask how you got so good at doing your graphic designs because they are phenomenal. So talk about uh, your graphic experience with us before we do let you go.
3: Basically, taught a lot of it myself off YouTube tutorials and on various on-the-job experiences there's still plenty for me to to learn and to do. So I'd suggest anyone that's looking to get into graphic design to jump on YouTube or yeah, find people who are creating cool stuff and they normally do videos on how they've made things. It's a quite visual learning experience, which makes picking up graphic design on your own one of the more uh, feasible things to do. And it's a a great way to upskill in in COVID when meeting people in groups and classrooms isn't the best option.
0: Brilliant. Well, Jeff, you are amazing, and we can't wait to see uh, what other graphics you can produce for us in the future because they are just getting more and more marvellous by the week. So thank you very much for your efforts with us this year. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on board and, um, yeah, dinner will definitely be on us as soon as as uh, as soon as we can see you or we can just order you a pizza in Brisbane or Canberra or Sydney, <laughs> wherever you may be, um, and we can just send it via Uber Eats to your doorstep and, um, and that can be our way of repaying you if we don't get to see you in Melbourne throughout the tennis. But Jeff Dickens and Fox, it's been a pleasure having you on Breakpoint tonight and thank you for all the work that you've done for us throughout this year.
3: Cheers, fellas, and you've got plenty to be proud for this year. It's been a big effort, so congratulations.
0: Thank you very much to Jeff Dickinson-Fox for his efforts on uh, as part of the Breakpoint family this year, and it's a pleasure to have him on the podcast and give the great man a little bit of exposure wherever we can. But, uh, Joel, before we do wrap up for 2020, we did give our Benoit of the Year out prematurely last year with our Benoit of the Week uh, celebration at the end of every show, and that went to Novak Djokovic. But there is still... One more to go, isn't there?
1: There is one more to go, and you've picked uh, Benoit of the week this week, Val. So, do you want to talk the listeners through it?
0: Yes, I do. Um, and it's it's not tennis related, but it is, He is a Frenchman. He is a Frenchman, and I think we must we must talk about this because it was one of the most phenomenal things and one of the most all, almost disastrous things. That we've ever seen in the sporting arena, and that is of Romain Grosjean in the Formula One Bahrain Grand Prix last night. It was uh, on the, or the first lap um, after about three corners, and Grosjean ended up going off uh, trying to avoid a little bit of debris and a wayward car, turned right, cut off um, Daniel Kvyat, um, just trying to avoid a collision, um, clipped Kvyat's car in the Alpha Tower, and his Haas went absolutely flying into the barriers and ripped in half burst into an inferno and somehow Grosjean has emerged safe and the car was completely totaled. It was split in half, as I said, and um, the halo that is above the the cockpit of the car actually saving the life of Romain Grosjean because that took the complete impact of the crash rather than his crash helmet doing that uh, for him. So he said he wasn't for it originally. He's okay now. Um, Pretty burnt hands um, on the top trying to get out as you can explain, but the footage and the photos of him emerging from that car is, um, I I think that's something that will be looked at and especially at night um, in Bahrain, it was just so cinematic, I guess, and it was something like what you'd see in a movie and it was something that I haven't seen in Formula 1 ever in my time watching it and, yeah, watching the footage made me sick. So, uh, Romain Grosjean, um, it was a real Benoit moment with the crash and then to be able to be alive, I think, is... Is so positive and to be able to tell the tale because um, not many people uh, back even five, six years ago, that had to happen. That driver would have been killed instantly. So amazing to see Romain Grosjean walk out of the car and um, uh, in shock albeit, but um, he's okay. And yeah, he's uh, he's in hospital in uh, in Bahrain at the moment.
1: Yeah, well said, well said. Um, yeah, I guess all you can really say about it is it's almost a minor miracle, really. I mean, the fact that he walked out of that alive, uh, amazing. That's his get out of jail free card news, I think.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, And look, he's only got, I think three races left or two races left after this in formula one. He doesn't have a seat for next year and they're all pretty much filled up. So that could have been a real brutal ending, Um, you know, three races to go. And then that happens. So, yeah, amazing to see Romain Grosjean okay, and hopefully it's a speedy, speedy recovery for him because um, he's one of the more likable guys. He's got a wife and three kids as well, so thank God he's okay for them as well. But Benoit of the year goes to Novak Djokovic on six votes. He's our inaugural recipient of this coveted award that's um, that we mentioned last week. He's done something that Roger and Rafa haven't. Um, but Joel, um, mate, what what can I say? Um, it's been an absolute pleasure doing this with you again. We caught up, I think it was in February before the lockdown and and we discussed what we could do in in making this podcast happen again. Um, And I couldn't ask for a better person to do this with. I couldn't ask for a better friend. Um, We get along so well and I think that's what helps with this podcast and what we've been able to do and bring the show back this year bigger and better than what we ever had. Um, But yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure doing this show again with you and we hope to continue it into 2021 and beyond and, and really push this thing hard because we want to try and get some um, tennis on the map in this country more than what it is in the four slams.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Matt. I could say all the same things about you. Thanks for the, the nice words. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly certainly doing this um, with you and, and chatting about tennis um, and just all the, all the nonsense that was going on really um, you know, kind of took our minds off our own issues that were going on back here. Um, in Melbourne at the time, so uh, yeah, it was really helpful in that sense. And um, yeah, on to bigger and better things next year. And hopefully, we can we can see the resumption of some kind of normality in tennis. Um, there's no doubt that it won't be entirely normal, but um, let's hope that we can kind of get as close to it as as possible and, and continue to see uh, some more breakthroughs next year.
0: Exactly right. And yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. It has got us through some very difficult times in Melbourne this year, and we we hope that. Um, to all the listeners that have listened in and that have shown us some support this year, um, we do hope that we have brought a little bit of enjoyment to you with the interviews that we've had, um, with the with our banter, with anything that we try to do. Um, we hope that we have brought you some enjoyment. So, um, if not, we'll work on we'll work on doing that better in 2021. But we must thank all of the listeners for listening and for showing their support, following us on social media, subscribing to the podcast. We must thank Jeff Dickinson, Vox, for all of the graphics work that he does and joining us on the show tonight. All of our guests this year: Mark Sappolus, Brett Phillips, the multiple guests, Luke Saville, um, Mark Woodford, of course, for that uh, groundbreaking interview that we had earlier on in the year, and um, he was he was so amazing to give us so much of his time. Um, Cause a little bit Andrew of Andrew Harris, Andrew Harris, as well. Um, all the Aussies: Sean Millman, Alan Paris, Storm Sanders. Um, Daniela Hunter Cova, Darren Cahill, Rob Koenig, Ben Rothenberg as well has given us so much of his time throughout yeah. this year. Blair Henley, um, James Duckworth, uh, Gabriella De Silverfick. I'm sure I'm forgetting some of them here as well, but uh, John Alexander, Chris Cuccioni, there's been so many of them this year. Jed Zetzer, Jake Eames. There we go, we're getting through them all Jenny now. Drummond. Pardon? Jenny Drummond? Yep, Jenny Drummond as well. So. And there's just been so many. And Martin Bakula as well. Martin Bakula. Yeah,
1: Martin Bakula, Tamani. I mean, there's been...
0: Oh, Joel. Marinko Matosovic. Oh, Marinko, yeah. He was the first (laughs) one. (laughs) And absolutely... No, we can't forget Marinko at all and Steve from Ace Tennis Previews as well. Thank you to everybody that has been a part of this show. And we must say thank you to Ryan Tennyson and Josh Campbell as well, our original co-hosts on this show, that the show wouldn't have been where it was when we started without those two and we um we appreciate what those two have done on the show as well. We'll have to get them on again very, very soon. But Joel, in 2020, that's it for us. We'll stay in touch, but just not on Breakpoint Podcast, but thank you for everything that you've done for this show this year.
1: My pleasure, mate. Thank you and uh, see you next year. Hopefully it's, uh, it's sooner rather than later and we're talking about the Australian Open.
0: Exactly right. See you next year. Well, I'll probably see you next week or something like that in Melbourne, but we'll see you uh, <laughs> see you on Breakpoint in 2021. Joel Frucci there joining me, Val Febbo. And remember, for the final time in 2020, you can follow us on social media at BreakpointPod on Twitter, BreakpointPodcast on Facebook. Breakpoint Podcast on Instagram, and then on Wushka you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts as well, and then on Google Podcasts and Spotify. We are there wherever you get your podcasts from. It's been Val Ferrucci and Joel, uh, Val Febo and Joel Frucci, not Val Ferrucci. <laughs> um, yeah, that was uh, that was not great. But yeah, Val Febbo and Joel Frucci joining you in 2020 on Breakpoint Podcast. We hope that you have enjoyed everything that we've brought you this year. We can't wait to talk more tennis with all of the listeners and each other In 2021.